evening. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. And we continue tonight through the the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And we'll see how far we get in in all of this tonight. I'm not sure really how this is going to go, to be quite honest. It's been quite a day. And uh, here it is. (laughs) And so ask the Lord to use His Word in your life tonight, okay? Let's go ahead and read. I'm going to read really the whole chapter here. And um, before we do that, just let me make a note here that this second chapter of Paul's letter here, of course there are no chapter divisions when he wrote it, But chapter 2 is a continuation of Paul's explanation in chapter 1. And the purpose of this epistle, we have to remember, the main reason that Paul wrote this was because the churches of Galatia uh, were falling into deception, and Paul's purpose in writing was to preserve the purity of the gospel. There were those who were teaching what Paul called another gospel, which is not another. He says it's a different one. It's not another one of the same kind. It's not as effective. It's not a gospel at all. And you're falling for this, and you're being uh, deceived by it. Um, It's a perversion. Verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's main purpose is preserving the gospel of Christ. And what was happening, if you don't remember, what was happening is that there were Gentiles who were being converted to Christ under the the preaching and the ministry of of the Apostle Paul. And these churches had been established. But then there were these Jews who said that they were believers, and we, would, we call them Judaizers, who came along and started teaching that Gentiles also had to be circumcised and keep the law as well as believe on Jesus Christ in order to be truly saved. In verse 7, Paul says that it troubled them. It, uh, it's not another, but there'd be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was troubling them in their Christian life, They were being deceived. They were falling for this. And so Paul's letter is very, it's straightforward. It's very hard. It's heavy. Uh, And and Paul doesn't uh, start out with all the normal greetings that he did to other churches and commending them for for these things in their their Christian life and so on. No, he gets gets right into it and he gives them a, a good scolding in some ways because this was a serious issue. And so what happened in in chapter 1 is that Paul is defending the gospel of Christ that he preached. He's also defending his own apostleship, the authority by which he preached it. And Paul said that his apostleship wasn't by man. It didn't come from man. His authority didn't have anything to do with man, but Jesus Christ. He said in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, 
who raised him from the dead. And so Paul's talking about his authority here, his call. It didn't come from like, like the Jews and from the hierarchy or from the Sanhedrin or from the high priest or any other thing. It came from Jesus Christ. He said the message, not only the, 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 the man here, but the message that he preached wasn't of men either. That was from Jesus Christ as well, verse 11 of chapter 1. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that it didn't come from the other apostles. Uh, it, he didn't get his authority to preach it from them either. It came from Jesus Christ. It certainly didn't come from the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, he says, I, haven't, I didn't even see them. I haven't even been with them. He says in verse 17, neither when I, after he tells about his, his, his former life and how he was converted to Christ, uh, in verse 17, he says, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then... After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brothers. And so the message I'm preaching didn't come from them. The authority didn't come from them. It came from Jesus Christ. He said, I was taught of the Lord, taught of the Lord himself in, in the Arabian desert. And then three years, three years later, after I was converted to Christ, I went to Jerusalem and saw Peter and saw James. And he says another reason the message was not of men is that the message of this gospel that I've been preaching to you has the power to completely change a life. This is so different than the Jews' religion. And he gives his own testimony in chapter 1 of how he used to be a persecutor and injurious but then the Lord saved him and completely transformed his life. That is the power of the gospel, to make a man different. If your life hasn't changed since you professed Christ, you're not saved. Plain and simple. And so, this is why Paul marveled that the Galatians themselves were so easily and so quickly removed from the gospel of grace unto another gospel. And Paul said to them in chapter 5, flip over there, chapter 5 and verse 7, he said, "Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. He says, Paul says to him, he says, you were running so well. You started out so good in your Christian life. What happened here? And he says that what they are teaching, this persuasion, is not of Jesus Christ, the one who called you into His marvelous light. And you should know different, and you should know better. And so Paul is, when we get into chapter 2, we need to understand that Paul is still rehearsing his testimony and his ministry to the Galatian believers. And we're going to read most of chapter 2. Let's read all of chapter 2 here. And we're going to see three main things in this chapter. I'll get to all of it tonight, of course. But just breaking down the whole chapter for you. We're going to see the consultation that takes place. We're going to see a confrontation 
that takes place, and then we're going to see the confirmation. And you'll maybe see some of that as we read through. Let's begin in verse 1. Then, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up, to, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seemed to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mightily in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God." I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's a lot that's going on here. And we'll work our way through this slowly. Um, But... There are three main things that we're going to grab out of this chapter as we work through it. First of all, I said it was the consultation in verses 1 through 10, where Paul gives his testimony of going before the Jerusalem council, and we'll talk about that tonight. Then there's this confrontation that takes place in verses 11 through 14, where where Paul rebukes Peter for falling back into old Jewish ways and not walking uprightly according to the truth. And then there's this confirmation 
verses 15 to 21, where Paul establishes firmly the relationship of law and grace. And Paul says at the end, I do not frustrate the grace of the Lord in salvation. And he says, if salvation comes by the law, then Jesus Christ died for nothing. And so we'll work our way through all of that. But I want to just do some background here tonight because Paul is continuing his testimony here from chapter 1. And there's maybe some things that we've never really put together in the timeline of Paul's life. And so as I was studying this out today, it was like there were some things that I was making connections with. I'm like, oh, I knew that's what he was talking about, but how did it fit into this in Paul's life? And we're going to compare some scripture with scripture. We'll be going back and forth to the book of Acts and our text here tonight. So notice in verse 1, here we find the, the consultation, and you'll understand what I mean as we read here, because Paul says in verse 1, Then, 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Now notice the timeline here. What is happening when Paul is talking about 14 years later? So Paul has rehearsed his salvation testimony. He said, I was saved. God changed my life. And Acts chapter 9 records that. He saw a great light. It was Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was blind. Uh, but God, the Lord said, uh, he's a chosen vessel unto me uh, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and so on. And Paul is rehearsing all of that in chapter 1, how his life completely changed. And he's also saying, I didn't get my message from the apostles. I didn't even see them. Immediately after I was saved, he says in verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And so, Paul is rehearsing all of this. He gets to chapter 2 and he says, Then, 14 years later, I went to Jerusalem again. What is happening here is that Paul is retelling to the Galatian churches about what happened in Acts chapter 15. And the reason he's telling about this Jerusalem council and what happened in Acts chapter 15 is because the very same issues were going on then that the Galatians were dealing with now. Paul had already had experience with this. And so he's talking about the Jerusalem council regarding the Jews who were doing the very same thing, saying that Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved. But we need to understand where we are at in the timeline of Paul's life and Paul's ministry, because he says 14 years later. Now, that's a big gap in time, isn't it? What happened during those 14 years in Paul's life and ministry? Because he had been preaching the gospel this whole time. So what happened during that time? Well, as we noted in chapter 1, Paul just got done rehearsing how he got saved. Acts chapter 9 tells us about that. Acts chapter 9 also tells us what happened as soon as Paul was saved. And Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18 says that he went out into the desert immediately after he was saved. He was taught of the Lord. Then he went back to Damascus 
preaching the gospel, and that went on for three years. Now go to Acts chapter 9. Keep your place here. And look in Acts chapter 9. Hopefully this makes a connection with you. So Paul says that he was saved. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't see the apostles. He went out into the desert. He was taught of the Lord. Then he went back to Damascus and he was preaching. That went on for three years. Now look in Acts chapter 9 in verse 19. The Bible says, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among the Grecians, but they were about, or, but they were about to slay him which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Now, understand what's going on here. Paul is just converted to Christ. He goes out into the desert. He's taught of the Lord. He goes back to Damascus and he starts preaching. And he's in Damascus disputing with the Jews and proving that this is very Christ to the point that they wanted to kill him. His preaching stirred up such a furor that at the end of this three-year period, there, there was such a stir going on that the disciples said, Paul, you got to get out of here. And they, they let him down in a basket over, over the wall at night to escape for his life, which then he went to Jerusalem. And he wanted to meet the apostles, but none of them believed him that he was truly saved. And so... It ties in with our text in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul says, um, in, or chapter 1 rather, after, in chapter 1 verse 18, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. Why didn't he see of the other apostles? Because they didn't believe he was truly saved. They thought he was still a persecutor. And so, Paul Le or Saul leaves Damascus. He makes the reverse trip of 130 miles back to Jerusalem. He's there for two weeks. Paul, Paul said he was there 15 days. He saw Peter during those two weeks. He saw James, the Lord's brother, 
But that was it. So then Paul starts preaching in Jerusalem. His preaching in Jerusalem starts to get everybody all stirred up until they wanted to kill him too. And so the brethren in Jerusalem said, we need to get you out of here. And the Bible tells us that they sent him north to Caesarea. He ends up taking a boat, the Bible tells us, and he ends up in Tarsus, his hometown. Now, look at chapter 9 again in verse 29 of Acts. He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So here's the timeline of Paul's life directly after he was saved. He preaches in Damascus. They want to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets with Peter and James, but his, and he's preaching there, and it gets them all stirred up. And eventually the brethren said, Saul, you, you, you need to go. And they sent him to Tarsus, which happens to be Saul's hometown. Now, go over to Acts chapter 11. Saul, in Tarsus, hadn't been there very long. When Barnabas shows up, and Barnabas says, Hey Saul, I really need your help with this church plant in Antioch. It's growing like crazy, and I need some help. So look in Acts chapter 11, in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus, in Antioch, preaching the word to none but Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's, yeah, that's, I think that's where we'll stop right now. So, he was preaching in Jerusalem. He got everything all stirred up there. The brethren said, you gotta go. They sent him home to Tarsus, which then, meanwhile, about the persecution, they went everywhere preaching the word. People end up in Antioch. They preach to Grecians and multitudes are being saved. Barnabas is sent there. He sees the grace of God. He's glad. Things are going great. He's like, I need some help. So where does he go? He goes to Tarsus to find Saul. And he says, I need you to come over here and I need you to help me. And the Bible says they assembled themselves a whole year preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. And so Saul hadn't been in Tarsus very long before Barnabas shows up. The Bible tells us they teach and preach in Antioch. This church in Antioch is established. And in time, the church sends out Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey. Go to Acts chapter 13. 
In Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, Niger Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been up, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So here is Paul's first missionary journey taking place. It was on this first missionary journey that they established churches in southern Galatia, the churches that he's writing to. And they established churches in, a church in Antioch of Pisidia, in Iconium, in Lystra, where Paul was stoned, in Derbe. And the length of time that is passing now is starting to give us a timeline why Paul said 14 years later. After they finished this first missionary trip, the Bible tells us they came back to Antioch to report. Look at verse 24 of chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 and verse 24. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down and into Attalia, and then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples." And so Paul and Barnabas finished their first missionary journey. They come back to Antioch. The Bible says they spent a long time with the church. They rehearsed all that God had done through them and how the Gentiles had been saved. Now, why is that significant? Because it's during this time of, them spend, of Paul spending time in Antioch with his home church that this issue of adding circumcision to faith in Christ came up in the church at Antioch. Go to chapter 15, in verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, which is Titus, by the way, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren." So the Bible tells us that there were some who came from Judea and they were teaching that except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses and keeping the law, you can't be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas immediately, when there was no small dissension between them or disputation, they determined that Paul and Barnabas needed to go to Jerusalem and they needed to deal with this and talk it out. And so it was determined by the church, which, by the way, Paul says he went up by revelation. I think that's interesting. The, the Spirit of God told Paul that he should go, but it was confirmed in the church that he should go. 
And maybe we'll talk about that at some point, the connection between understanding the will of God and the church confirming the will of God in a person's life. Because the authority is in a church. It was determined that Paul and Barnabas and Titus should go to Jerusalem to hash this thing out. And this is what Paul is talking about back in Galatians chapter 2. Fourteen years later, I went up to Jerusalem. So go back to Galatians chapter 2. And so Paul says in verse 1, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, And then he talks about the false brethren, which, again, uh, we need to go back to the book of Acts, and we'll get there in a second. But I want you to note the potential confusion here. So we saw the timeline, but note the potential confusion here. Paul says that he went up by revelation, and he communicated to those in Jerusalem about the gospel that he is preaching among the Gentiles, But he says, I did it privately with those of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. What does he mean by that? Well, if we go back to Acts chapter 15, we can get a glimpse here of what Paul is talking about. This might be a little tedious, but I hope that you're getting at least a a Bible lesson of how things put together are put together here. Acts chapter 15 and verse 3. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas, certain other of them, which was Titus, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 3 says they were brought away on the church. Get to verse 4. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing... Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about when he went to Cornelius' house. And God, which knoweth the hearts, uh, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither of our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And so get the picture here. When Paul is talking in our text about how he goes to Jerusalem in in Galatians chapter 2, and he communicated unto them, 
the gospel that he's preaching among the Gentiles. But then he says, but privately to them who are of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. What this is telling us, and when we compare it with Acts chapter 15, is that Paul was received of the church, and then there rose up these of the sect of the Pharisees who said they have to keep the law of Moses. Then the Bible says that the apostles and elders gathered together to talk about this issue. I think that's what Paul is referring to when he says privately to those of reputation. And what it tells me is that Paul didn't want to create the appearance of division in a public setting. Paul used some discernment and some wisdom here, and he communicated really well with these people to not disrupt the work of the Lord. And I just want to make a quick application here. And this might be the only thing that we get tonight. Paul was using discernment. Paul was communicating well. Paul did not want to disrupt the work of the Lord. And this was an important issue, but there was, a, there was an order for things to be done. And instead of creating this public division and public disruption, Paul took the apostles aside. He declared unto them all that the Lord had done. They considered this matter. And the Bible tells us in Acts 15 that once they were done, after there was some disputing, Peter stood up and he said, hey, listen, we believe that it's salvation is by faith in Christ. Why do you tempt God? And why do you try to put this bondage on people that we can't even bear ourselves? Salvation is by grace through faith. The matter was decided. The matter was settled by the leadership. And instead of the whole thing just completely blowing up and all kinds of other issues and problems happening, because Paul used discernment and good communication, the will of the Lord was done. Now, let me make an application. Communicating well when it comes to disagreements is so very crucial, very critical. There's so much needless trouble that is created in relationships when we fail to communicate. I just want to pause there for a second. Because the fact of the matter is, you know what? There's going to be disagreements. We don't think the same, right? There's going to be disagreements in leadership. We don't think the same all the time. But what we ought to have is a common bond and a common idea that the Lord's church is first, that there needs to be unity in the body, and we need to do whatever we possibly can do to avoid disrupting the work of the Lord. You know what helps with that? Real good communication. It applies in homes as well. It applies in other relationships. What happens so often when we're proud and we're not teachable and, we, and, we, and we're not discerning and we just run off at the mouth? All kinds of other problems happen when it would have just been fixed if we learned to communicate well. In the church, when it comes to leadership, things should be discussed in private first, and dealt with first. 
and then brought to the church. Otherwise, harm could come to the cause of Christ. In homes, amongst spouses, you know what? Disagreements ought to be discussed in private, not in front of the kids. How many, how many times is this, does this happen? And we, we need to be careful about this because we're not perfect at it, but we should be careful about it. Disagreements happen and arguments are going on and the kids are right there and they're hearing all of this. Why not just learn to, why not just learn to have some good communication and humble ourselves and, and, and not be so prideful and just take it quietly, privately aside to deal with the issue for the sake of unity in the family? Good communication is a key to being able to be what you're supposed to be, even as a spouse. The Bible commands husbands and wives. The Bible tells husbands that you're to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. The Bible tells a wife that she's to submit to her husband's leadership. You know what? All of those things actually work together well when we're not so proud and we're humble and we're willing to communicate and talk things out. How is a husband supposed to dwell with his wife according to knowledge if he doesn't even know who she is and he doesn't care? We're always communicating something. We're communicating something, whether positive or negative. We're always communicating something. And good communication is a necessity for peace. Peace in a church and peace in a home. For it to be what God intends it to be. But you know what? When we run off at the mouth and we shoot, shoot off at the mouth and, and we're proud and we're stubborn and we're not emotionally available for other people, guess what's going to happen? Communication's going to shut down. When communication shuts down, walls get built. When walls get built, guess what happens to relationships? I don't know if this is connecting with anyone here tonight. But I think it's what the Lord has for us. And let me just make one more statement. Husband, man, you have the responsibility to set that stage in your house. For that to take place in your home, you have the responsibility to set that stage. But if you're not available, physically or emotionally, and you don't care, or you care only for yourself and your life, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a whole lot of other things that become real problems in your home. Because you don't communicate. In order to communicate, though, it takes some humility. And it takes sometimes shutting your mouth and listening in order to really communicate. It takes a desire to actually care as well. What is important to you? Harmony in the home, peace in the home, the will of God in the home. 
harmony in the church, peace in the church, unity in the church, the will of God in the church. There's a lot of problems that happen in churches too because people just won't communicate. And when I say communicate, I don't mean making sure everybody knows exactly what you think and trying to convince everybody of your opinion. That's not what communication is. But learning to listen, learning to be instructed, sometimes yielding, listening with intent and with understanding. Those are all critical things. And I'm saying that Paul used some good discernment here and communicated well to avoid the potential problems and avoid the potential confusion. What time is it? I think we're going to stop there tonight. I didn't know how this was going to go. I really didn't. It was quite a day. (laughs) I'm like, okay, Lord, well, this is as far as we've gotten. You have something for us here tonight. Let me ask you the question. Do you work at good communication? Do you work at humbling yourself? Do you work at caring? Do you work at being what God wants you to be, husband or wife, church member? Do you work at those things because you want, number one, the Lord's will to be done. Number two, you want peace and harmony. I think those are important issues that maybe we should address again or talk about some more. But just examine your own heart here tonight as we close, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd use your word and the principles discovered here. Some of this was timeline and tediousness and how these things fit together, but the principles that we can still draw from it are very relevant and valuable. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a heart that says, I want peace. I want peace in the church. I want the Lord's will done in the church. I want things to be done decently and in order. I don't want to be someone who's full of pride, who's arrogant, who's unteachable. Lord, I want to bless other people. May we have the same heart and attitude in our homes. Even when we're treated unfairly, I still want peace and harmony in the home. And we work at it. Lord, help us to learn to be humble and to communicate well. And Lord, as we continue through this chapter and we uncover other principles and then we get into the meat of Galatians, that gets very practical right down to where we live in our day-to-day life, dealing with the flesh and walking in the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd use this study to grow your people. We thank you for giving us your word, that it's a solid foundation, and that it doesn't change, that it's always relevant. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.